as he draws me close and makes me whole. In the darkest hours of life I've faced, I've been healed by the word. The Spirit brings to life anew when I hear from the Lord the voice of God that speaks from the pages. The truth of God that stands throughout the ages. It's a lamp, it's a light, it's the
good God. Amen. Amen. We've sung this, well, we've sung everything before. <laughs> but we've, finding time to practice something new is, is hard to do sometimes, but I'm glad the old songs say, they, 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 I mean, it's a lasting message. Amen. Amen. Thank God we have a Bible. Amen. Thank God he's still saving souls. Amen. Amen. just about him, amen? We've been hearing a lot. I was going back through some of the messages from Sunday about the holiness of the Lord and the beauty of holiness. And that's who he is, amen? And that we can understand any of it is amazing, amen? But there are some things about the Lord that I understand, amen? This, this song describes it pretty good. 
said this the other day, amen? We're pretty spoiled here. God's been good over the years, amen? And you know, we, we get to be spoiled brats. And the brat part comes in when you don't appreciate 
appreciate how good you've got it. And I look back over my life, God has been so good. If, he, if there was a spiritual silver spoon, I have it. I have a goodly heritage. Amen. Physically, in this world, also spiritually, I have that. And God's been good. Amen. I look back on where we've been and where we're at, and we get over it way too easy. I think back at how many services, good services we've had in this building. It just amazes me that anybody could ever come in this place and just be, man, whatever. It's amazing to me. Amen. But I know one thing, about 14 years old, God ruined me. Amen. We, man, I remember feeling the spirit of the Lord move in my life for the first time. I mean, really moved. Amen. The rest of my life just been kind of chasing that. And once you've tasted it, once you know what it is, yep. you just can't be satisfied with anything less. I can't forget when God saved my soul.
never be satisfied with anything less. Once you've tasted the goodness of mercy and you've drunk from the fountain of grace, seen the power of God's forgiveness,
seated. Let's sing that chorus. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation so rich and free. Amen. You can be seated. Amen. The best time is upon us. The time that God chose to preach it. Amen. Brother Wood, you come ahead, brother. Amen. Well, amen. Are you glad to be here tonight? Amen. I'm glad to be anywhere. Amen. <laughs> well, I sure appreciate the privilege to stand here tonight. I, sometimes I wish I could sing and sit down. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, it's a blessing to be here. Thank you again. I can't thank you enough. We have felt so welcomed here, and get this put in there. And uh, everything you've done for us since we've been here, the food, the fellowship, your friendliness—it's just been a been a blessing. Amen. One of the highlights of our life to be here. Amen. And so, thank you again, Brother Brandon, for the privilege and opportunity. To be here to try to be a blessing and help your people. I want to help people. I don't want to offend anyone. That's impossible. You could stand up here and say, God. Someone say, I didn't like the way he said that. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but um, I appreciate, I can tell you all like preaching. That's a blessing. And uh, you you just you learn real quick around the church. I've yeah. grown to love your pastor in just a few short days. And if I lived here, this is where I'd come to church. Where I'd be. Amen. And uh, so, what a blessing. His family. Well, I tell you, the testimony of a family is. is uh, amen. That book says, "I'll say this here." I have to be careful about this, but you know the. The Word of God says a bishop should have faithful children. Amen. And I tell you, the testimony of your family, that's still part of the qualifications. They don't preach on that much, but it's still in the book. Amen. And, uh, so, amen. Thank God. I've enjoyed being here. It's a blessing. And it's always good to see Brother Matt Miss Holly. We love them dearly. They're like, they're like our family. We're connected through friendship, marriage, church, all that kind of business, and uh, we just appreciate and love them so much. Amen. Amen. So, John chapter 1. I wondered when Brother Matt said he was moving to Canada, I said, my God's nuts. <laughs> Amen. A little bit. 
Then I got to thinking about it, you know. He said, the Lord, the Lord led me there. And I said, well, the, you know, the Lord has something there for you, I'm sure. Amen. And uh, I, I could see why you'd want to be here, Brother Matt. It's a beautiful place. You've got a wonderful church and good pastor and good people. And, amen. amen. John chapter 1. I was uh, kind of divided tonight between a couple of messages and and during the song service, the Lord kind of settled my heart on what he'd have us to do here tonight. And I hope, our, uh, I hope I've been a help and a blessing to you some way this week. I'm not searching for a comment or I'm not searching for a compliment. But uh, you, it, it is a blessing to know if the Lord has used your life in some way to people. Not, not that you're trying to get prideful or boastful, but I, I don't want to be lifted up with pride. The Lord, uh, Satan brought pride into heaven. God kicked him out. God resisted the proud. I don't want to be proud. But we should be thankful if the Lord uses us. Amen. So I don't have confidence in myself. But I have confidence in my call. The call of God on my life. And so that's the difference. But anyway, we're in John chapter 1. Begin reading in verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Drop down to verse 14. The Bible says, and the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, these, these verses of Scripture touch upon what we call, and I know you're familiar with this theological term, but we, it touches upon what we call the doctrine of the incarnation, which simply means the Lord Jesus, God came in the flesh, is simply what it means. God was made flesh. It's a theological word that people use to note the coming of our Lord in the flesh. As Noah Webster would define it, it's the act of assuming flesh or taking a human body in the nature of man. And when the Bible says here in uh, verse 1 to 4, when it, I, I read that, I'm not going to read it again, but those passages would uh, presuppose that our Lord existed before he came into the world. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and the word was God the same was in the beginning with God and it goes on and says all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made so our Lord existed before the incarnation this foolishness about the Lord being a created God that's a, that's a heresy Amen. that's a Jehovah Witness doctrine and it's not a Bible doctrine Amen our Lord existed before he came in, came into the world and became a man. Amen. Amen. And so we believe that our Lord is God. Amen. Amen. The Lord Jesus is God. He's not a created God. Amen. The only part of our Lord, as far as his being is concerned, was made is his body. It was made of a woman, made under the law. But he existed before that. He came into the world and clothed himself with flesh with humanity. Deity was joined with humanity. 
And uh, there's, a, there's a theological phrase for that. I will not use it. But uh, you'll encounter it sometimes in biblical writings or commentaries. And uh, you'll find this. You'll find there's great, great debates taking place throughout church history over this particular doctrine. That the Lord was God and man and how he existed with those two natures. You'll find, you'll find a lot of disagreement on it. There'll be a lot of uh, debate about it. Uh, and actually in the early church, the debate about our Lord's uh, natures uh, led to what is called the uh, Athanasian Creed. Some of you probably read that. But anyway, there's, a, there's just a lot of confusion on it. But I'm just going to show you what the Bible says tonight. And that's all it takes is a little Bible to clear up a lot of confusion. Amen? Amen. That's all it takes. If people just let the Bible say what it says. And by the way, I don't care what you think it teaches. Amen. I really don't even care what you think it means. Yeah. What does it say? Amen. It says what it means and teaches what it says. Amen. And uh, I witnessed a guy one time, his wife sitting there. I said, the Bible says for all to sin and come short of the glory of God. She said, that's just your interpretation. I'm trying to win her husband of the Lord. I said, ma'am, I didn't interpret anything. I just read a verse. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, he's a sinner. She said, well, that's just the way you look at it. I said, that's what the Bible says. All the inmates are not in the nut house, friend, amen. They're running our country. Amen. I'm talking about America. Well, amen, I have to agree with you. Amen. They call him True Dope. True Dope. <laughs> and uh, oh, Biden, anyway. We ain't going to get onto that. We, just, we know they're all idiots. But anyway, our Lord was both God and man. Amen. And he existed before he came into the flesh. And he clothed himself with human nature in the conception and in the virgin birth uh, through the Virgin Mary. He took upon himself the very essence, the very nature, the very substance of man, sin accepted. The virgin birth si uh, sidesteps the fallen nature of man. Amen. Comes from the blood. Amen. Now listen, I'm not a, I'm not a biologist or a doctor or scientist, but I've read enough, and, and uh, I remember reading uh, M. R. Hahn's book many years ago, The Chemistry of the Blood. I don't know if you ever read that book or not. He was a medical doctor, yeah. and Dr. Hahn said he was, a, he was of the old Plymouth Brethren. That's real close to what we are. I mean, real close. And he, uh, he said, uh, there's no blood passes, between, there's no maternal blood passes between a woman and the baby that she carries in her womb. There's no maternal blood. He said the blood is produced from the man's genes. From the, what the man, there are 27 chromosomes that have to match, and it's the man's chromosomes that's, that produce the blood. And so if you bypass the man and you had a virgin birth, he wouldn't have man's blood, amen? No, not at all. And so our Lord bypassed the fallen nature of man, the sin of Adam, and his blood. 
Amen. Ladies, tonight you have the blood of a man in you. Well, amen. amen. Yes, you do. And uh, not only that, you have, you, have your, you have a man's name. You don't even have a name. <laughs> amen. I better not go down that road too far. <laughs> amen. My wife has my name, yep. Wood. Amen. Before I married her, she had her daddy's name, Brown. So, ladies, you don't have a name. And the blood in you come from us. I'm sorry to, sorry to tell you, it made you a sinner just like us. Amen. So male or female, the blood comes from Adam. But our Lord, he bypassed, sidestepped the sin of Adam through the virgin birth. And uh, before we look at the Bible teaching concerning our Lord, uh, concerning what our Lord shows us in the Bible and this truth about him, just remember, uh, the Lord Jesus existed before he became a man and he clothed himself with humanity without sin. Amen. Now, that our Lord was both God and man is easily proven. I just gave you the passages in John. Turn to Philippians chapter 2 in your Bible if you would. Would you bear with me tonight? And, uh, I'll try not to preach as long as I did last night. But look at Philippians. Chapter 2, look, look with me in verse 5. The Bible says, Let this mind be in you, which also in Christ Jesus. Now look at verse 6 carefully. Who being in the form of God. John said it like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, was God, and the Word was with God. He said it like the same. Saying the same. Paul is essentially teaching the same truth. Amen. Being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Our Lord, as far as the Trinity and the Godhead is concerned, is equal with the Father and the Holy Ghost. They're co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent. Let me say this about the Trinity. You know, um, you look up, look up here at me, you see me. This is Brother David Wood, right? But really all you're seeing is my body. You're looking at the house that I live in. And I'm inside of it. I mean, I am inside this body, and I'm looking out through my eyes. Amen. That's the windows of my soul. Amen. I'm looking out through my eyes, right? Yes, and young man, what's your name? Abraham. Abraham. I wish you might remember that. If you want to look at me, do you look at my hand? Oh, no. If you want to look at me, do you look at the bottom of my foot? If you want to look at me, where do you look? You look in my face and you look in my what? Eyes. And there's somebody in there what? Looking out. That's me. Now, some folks, you can look in their eyes don't look like nobody at home. I'm telling you. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, you're inside your body looking out. That's you. That's your soul. Amen? And your soul is the same shape as your body. You go to the book of Revelation, there's souls before the altar with palms in their hands. A soul with a hand. They have robes on. They're in the same shape as their body. They evidently maintains the same characteristics. Look the same. But anyway, I'm in there looking out. That's my soul. Give me a self-consciousness. 
The body gives me a world consciousness. But then, and then in my innermost being is the spirit that's been born again. And I'm a trinity. I have a body. You're looking at it. I have a soul. It's looking out at you. And yours are looking out at me. And then I have something, my friend, deeper than that that gives me a God consciousness. That's the spirit and man that's been born again and joined unto the Lord and we become one spirit. So what do I have? I have a spirit, I have a soul, and I have a body. But yet I am one man. God has a spirit. Didn't he, did, he not, did the Father not refer to himself in this manner? He that worketh iniquity, my soul hateth. God said that. God said he had a soul. And the Lord Jesus is said to be the image of the invisible God. And in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So God has a body, soul, and spirit. And we can know each part of his being because they have the same attributes, Amen. the same personality. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So, I mean, I, I don't understand all that, but I believe it. Amen. Our Lord was equal with God. It, what it says right there in the text. Let's go further. Verse 7, but made of himself of no reputation. Now, would you count this as we go down? And, and before we go that, I want to, before we go down that route, I want you to look at verse 7, that middle phrase. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. And so notice, notice this. Form of God, form of God, form of a servant. You know what that is? That is the deity and the humanity of Christ right there in the text. His two natures. He's in the form of God but he takes upon himself the form of a servant. That's the man, Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, now count these steps with me. Verse 7, but made himself of no reputation. What's that? One. Second phrase, took upon him the form of a servant. Two. And was made in the likeness of men. Three. And being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself, five, and became obedient unto, the, unto death, six, even the death of the cross, seven. You see, as God, our Lord humbled himself, took seven great steps down to become a servant. Seven's the number of what in the Bible? Perfect humility. Son of God is a man. And so verse 9, or verse nine, 8, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so here in these passages, we find that our Lord is both God, equal with him, but yet he took upon himself in humanity the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. God and a man in one person. The Bible says it's a great mystery. Amen? Nothing could be plainer. 
Our Lord's deity and humanity are both affirmed in these verses, and these, these natures of our Lord are distinct and, and separate, yet they exist in one person. Amen. For example, the Scriptures teach that our Lord, in His, in his human nature, was subordinate and in submission to His Father. For example, he said in the Gospel of John on one occasion, he said, the Father is greater than I. Now would he say that as a member of the Godhead? He's speaking as a what? A man. The Father's greater than I. He's speaking as a man. You have to remember that our Lord, our, our Lord humbled himself and submitted himself and took a, a lower position. Voluntarily. Amen. And so, our Lord, His, nothing could be plainer. Uh, his deity and humanity, uh, they're in one person, two distinct natures, but they differ significantly. But they're brought together in a personal union, and they will continue forever. Listen, the Lord Jesus will never cease to be a man. Never. Amen. He'll be a man forever. He'll never cease to be a man. And so, deity, humanity. Let me show you something. Turn to Colossians while you're here. Philippians, Colossians, just turn to the next book. Look at chapter 1. Look at verse 14. Now, it's very easily, as you read these passages, to distinguish the two natures of Christ. Look at verse 14. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. What would we attribute that to? His human nature. His blood. Verse 15. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. He's the part of God that you can see in his humanity. So what is, what's that talking about? Talking about his humanity. Look at verse 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, whether visible and invisible, whether there be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. That's a reference to his what? His deity. And you find that all through the Bible. It's all through the Word of God. I could give you so many, so many uh, different. Let me give you this one. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And look with me, if you will, in verse 4, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 4. And the Bible says here in this passage, for though he was crucified through weakness. What? He was crucified through weakness. That's what it said. Now, granted, it was voluntary weakness. Look at the next phrase. Yet he liveth by the power of God. Amen. There's humanity and deity in two phrases yep. in Amen. one person. And the, it's, the Bible's full of it. Here's your, here, here's your good, boy, I'll give you a good one here. Come on, Look Amen. at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. Here's your good one. I'll let you, uh, I'll tell you what, write us out a dissertation on this passage and bring it to us Sunday and to figure it out for us, all right? I mean, figure this out. 
Uh, Jesus is a man. Did he know anything? Sure. But as God, he knows everything for sure. Omniscient. He's omniscient. He knows everything. There's nothing he doesn't know. Right? Well, look at verse 8. Hebrews 5, 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Someone who knows everything had to learn? Explain that for me. The fact that he learned is to be attributed to his human nature. He increased in wisdom and in stature. That's what the Bible says. Amen. He learned obedience. The Son of Man learned. The Son of God was omniscient. Uh, I'll show you some things about his divine. Watch this. Turn with me to Mark chapter 11. Are y'all bored when we talking about the Lord Jesus? I hope not. Mark chapter 11. Are you interested in him? Amen. Amen. Look at Mark chapter 11. Look at verse 1. The Bible says, And when they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethphage and Bethany and the Mount of Olives, he sent forth two of his disciples. Now watch the Lord's knowledge here. Watch his knowledge, his wisdom. His, he knows everything. Watch this. Go your way into the village over against you. That's, uh, what's the little town we went to today? Middleton? Yeah, uh, okay, disciple. I want you to run over here to Middleton. The village against us. And as soon as you be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied. He knows where a colt is tied in a village next to them. The Lord knows where every cow is in this county. He knows where every mule is in this county. He knows where every bug is in this county. He knows where every fly is. He knows every ant in every anthill. He knows how many hairs are on your head and how many you left in the shower. <laughs> when you get to thinking about it, your hairs are numbered. Yeah, go ahead. Amen. Amen. Yeah. He just subtracted that one. Amen. Have you, has anybody one here ever saw the Butterfly Nebula? Well, check it out. Just put in Butterfly Nebula in your browser and look at the NASA's pictures from the, from the Webb telescope. That thing is flying. It's, it's went further in the universe, and it has disrupted all of their beliefs about the universe. And they said, you know, the universe is expanding. Well, they've been preaching that for years. The old prophet said at least four times in the Old Testament that he stretcheth out the heavens. That's why they're moving. He's stretching them. But all those stars, there's so many stars. All those stars, you're only seeing a very, when you go out and look up the sky at night, you're just getting a brief glimpse of the universe and how vast it is. It, they, said it's, they say it's much bigger than we thought. And the, the butterfly nebula, you, you wouldn't believe this thing made out of planets and galaxies and gases. It looked like a butterfly. And my God made that. And he's been sustaining it now for 6,000 years at least by the word of his power. And, and there's the, 
there's all these different different star formations and it's, it'll blow your mind. There's a little dot out there, a little red dot, and they fly this thing, this thing, this telescope's moving through, and it gets finally gets close enough to take a picture of this little red dot. And when they make a picture of it, they find out it's a galaxy a hundred times bigger than ours. <laughs> And I'm looking at all these pictures that they're taking out there in space that's millions of light years from me. And my God created that and knows every one of them by name. They're the work of His fingers. And the moon and the stars which He has ordained are the work of His fingers. It's increased my faith. He can take care of me. I tell you, when Mary Magdalene saw the Lord, he said, touch me not, for I'm not yet ascended to the Father. And he goes to the Father and puts his blood on the mercy seat and interrupts the company of women that were with her that were headed back to town. He went to heaven and back just like that. He can take care of me. If he can sustain his universe, he can take care of David Wood. So I'm not worried about it. Go over there and you'll find a colt tied where on never man set. Loose him and bring him. If I told you something like that, you'd think, well, he don't know that. But they went over there and they got over there and they, they found his knowledge of where there was a colt and the fact that it was tied and the fact that no man had never sat on him. He knew everything. And the Bible says in verse 7, they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him and he sat upon him. He sat upon him. He rode an unbroken colt. I would love to see Brother Brandon do that. We'll put him in a, you know, we'll put him in a stall, tie his feet under it, and open the gate. <laughs> Be like that kid in my church. He trained about eight months for the rodeo. You know, he had one of those things, you know, where they put between the trees, and they, his friends bounced him around for about eight months, training for the rodeo, and he went, <laughs> he went one first, first night of the rodeo, they tie him on this big bull, swing the gate open, one, two, three, He's on the ground, the bull steps on his foot, breaks his foot, his rodeo career's ended three seconds. Three seconds. I told him, I told him, I said, son, you wasn't a cowboy long, amen. <laughs> but the Lord, he commanded the obedience of an unbroken colt that never, meant, never man had sat on. He just said, I mean, it was calm. Cool and collected. Why in the world did he have to have a coat just a coat to start with? Because he needed transportation as a man. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> he had to fulfill a prophecy. The, the king would Come on an ass's coat. He had to have transportation into the city. So he knew where it was. 
Said, ain't nobody ever wrote it, but I can write it. Because yeah, I'm God, I made it. Amen. I'm, also, amen. I'm also a man and ain't ride that sucker in the city. <laughs> amen. He didn't say it just like that. I'm sorry, Lord. I mean, the Lord, listen, he, he puts on display that the Creator knows everything and can command the obedience of a broken yeah. coat, yeah. unbroken coat, but yet at the same time, as a man, he needs transportation. Yeah. Look at another thing in this. Look at Mark 11, 12. Look at, watch this. Watch this. Yeah. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. What? He was hungry? He's God! And he's hungry. It's his humanity. It's two parts to his being, his nature. He's hungry. Verse 13. And seeing a tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it. Now he's talking to trees. I'd like to see you talk to a tree and command it to do anything. <laughs> Jesus answered and said unto it, I don't know about you, but I find that fascinating that my Savior can talk to a tree. And it can understand him. No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever, and his disciples heard it. His humanity is plainly visible in the fact that he was hungry, but he comes to a fig tree that has no fruit and puts a curse on it because it's not fulfilling its intended purpose. Look at verse 14. Let no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. Look at verse 20. The next day in the morning, it says they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it didn't just turn yellow and then... Brown and a few of the leaves begin to fall. It was dried up down to the roots. He accelerated the decaying process in a tree, and it was dead by the next morning. And he's the one that told it to do that. I tell you what, do go out and command all the weeds in your garden to quit growing. <laughs> See if they listen to you. He could do it. Amen. It says that, and Peter called him to remember, said, Lord, Master, behold, behold the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. Well, what did you expect? <laughs> he accelerated the natural force of nature. He dried up the, dried the tree up quickly. Why? Because he was God. He could command the obedience of a tree. But yet as a man, he went to get fruit from it because he was hungry. Don't you find that fascinating? Y'all want to look at another one right quick? Turn to John chapter 4 right quick. The Bible says in verse 4, And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. 
Now notice in verse 6 that our Lord was weary with his journey. The Bible says God never slumbers nor sleeps. God's never tired. It's a reference to his humanity. He's weary with his journey. Uh, he even slept according to God's word. You all remember he was asleep in the back of the boat? his head on a pillow and they woke him up and said master carest thou not that we perish I mean Lord if Jesus is in a boat you ought not be worried about anything amen but the, he listen the same person weary he was weary he desired a drink of water look at verse 7 then cometh the woman of Samaria to draw water Jesus saith unto her give me to drink now why did he ask her for a drink Why do you think he asked her for a drink? Because he was thirsty. And he was weary. That's what he wanted. And she says unto him, How is it thou being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? If the Jews have no dealing with the Samaritans, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, Thou would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Now here he is, asking for physical water as a man, but he can give her a drink that will give her eternal life. That's humanity and deity in one person. Don't you find that fascinating? Yes, sir. It's the wildest stuff I've ever he said, Who, whosoever drinketh, he said, if you drink of this water, look here, lady, you drink of this water, you're going to thirst again. But he said, if you take this drink I'm trying to give you, you'll never thirst. Yeah. Amen. Amen. She says, sir, this well is deep. You don't have anything to draw with. How in the world can you give me a drink of living water? And he said, I'll tell you one thing, lady, you've got five husbands. <laughs> what? How does he know that? Because he's God and he knows everything. And he said, by the way, he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. And she goes into the city and says, he told me all that ever I did. Again, we see... All through the scriptures, so many opportunities we have to see our Lord, his humanity drawn alongside his deity. You see that? And our present blessings are based upon the union of his two natures. Now, if you will with me, turn with me to Job chapter 10. And I'll try to bring this to a conclusion. Job chapter 10. Look with me in verse 2, if you would. I will say unto God, this is Job speaking, I will say unto God, do not condemn me. Show me wherefore thou contendest with me. Is it good unto thee that thou shouldest oppress, that thou shouldest despise the work of thine hands, and shine upon the counsel of the wicked? Now I want you to notice carefully, carefully with me now in verse 4, in these series of questions. 
there's, there's a series of questions that begins in verse 3, continues into verse 4. Look at it. Hast thou eyes of flesh, or seest thou as man seeth? Are thy days as the days of man? Are thy years as man's days? That thou inquirest after mine iniquity and searchest after my sin. Thou knowest that I am not wicked, and there is none that can deliver out of thine hand. Thine hands have made me and fashioned me together round about, yet thou doest destroy me. Remember, I beseech thee, that thou hast made me as the clay, Wilt thou bring me into dust again? Now I challenge you tonight. Look up here. I challenge you to find in the book of Job where God answered those questions. Job said, God, you got eyes like me? Do you see what I see? Do you feel what I feel? Here's what he's saying. God, do you know what it's like to be me. And the Lord doesn't answer. God doesn't answer. By the way, when he shows up in the end of the book and rebukes his three friends, passes by Elihu in silence and says nothing to him because you can't tell a young man nothing. He knows everything. God couldn't even tell him. He tells the other three men, rebukes them, my servant will pray for you, Job, And when God shows up and begins to deal with Job and talk to him, are y'all listening? He says nothing about his troubles, nothing about his sufferings, nothing about his losses. He starts talking about creation, what he has done. Go read it. Never mentions a son. You see, when you go through troubles, all you have to do is compare it to what God has done. And their reference point was creation. Ours is the cross. When you're going through something, just hold it up between you and the cross and see how it... But listen, God, do you know what it's... Hast thou eyes of flesh? Seeth thou as man seeth? Are thy days the days of a man? God, do you know what it's like to be me? God doesn't answer. Look across the page in chapter 9. Look at verse 32. For he is not a man as I am that I should answer him, and we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. Let me illustrate. Let me illustrate this. Come here, boys. Let me illustrate this. Come here, Abraham, Taylor. I remembered your name. Okay, let's say this is, let's just say this is man. And because he's bigger, we'll say he's God. Okay? The distance between these two beings is so vast that you cannot comprehend it. Neither can I. Job is saying, I want a daysman. The word daysman has a a synonym for it that's found in the New Testament, and it's mediator. That's what Job is asking for. 
And he says, neither is there a daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. Now listen carefully. Because Jesus Christ was God. He could lay his hand upon God. Because he is man. He can lay his hand upon man. Amen. For many years, my dad was a, a common laborer in a factory. And he had this respectable profession of making commodes. It is a respectable profession. It has a broad learning curve. Seriously. It takes, it takes many years to learn to cast piece of pottery like that by hand would have it without having cracks in it. It's a, it takes years, a broad learning curve. And my dad was expert at it. And he could mix the, listen, he could check the humidity to know how to mix the mud so that it wouldn't crack when it dried. There's so many variables in it. They would send ceramic engineers out of college there to, to work and to help, you know, and my dad knew more than the engineers. Oh, yeah. And finally, they hired him on the company. He was a union rep. He was elected as the union representative for all the laborers in the factory. And they would negotiate contracts. The company wanted to contract. The labor wanted to contract. And both had, so they had, my dad, he represents the men and had these lawyers from both sides and they each, each, all these parties understand what the men want and they understand what the company wants and so they mediate a contract and they come together and both parties sign it. My dad was the, he was representative of the men as a union president. Well, later on in his life, he got a little older. It's a very strenuous job. Got to be a strong man to do what he did. And so they offered him, they said, Joe, let me tell you something. My daddy had more character as an unsaved man than some Christians I know. And he got saved under my ministry. But my dad, they said, Joe, that's what they called him, we want, we want, to, we want to hire you to fill the position of plant superintendent. And he said, at his age, more money, all he now is in a supervisory role. He says, I'll take it. And those men said, this is what they said, Brother Hills. They said, Joe knows what we need. And now he's on that side. Maybe he can explain to them what we need. And the company said, well, Joe's been on their side. So, He'll understand what we need. And they all thought that my dad would be the perfect person to represent both labor and company because he'd been on both sides. So actually, he was a mediator who could comprehend the needs of both parties. That's exactly what Jesus Christ is as God and man. He can lay his hand on a holy God and 
lay his hand on a sinful man and reconcile them within himself. The God man. All of Job's questions are answered and realized in Jesus Christ. Now we can say, Lord, do you have eyes of flesh? Yes, I do. Do you know what it's like to be me? Yes, I do. You see, in order to be our great high priest, he had to be both God and man. He's the mediator. Everyone knows the passage. 1 Timothy chapter 2. You know the passage. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. One other place and we're done. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Let me tell you something that would. Listen to me before we read this. I got to say this. If I tonight, if I did this, I am not going to do this, but I have done it. I've done it before privately and let preachers observe it with teenagers. I've asked the question before with large numbers of teenagers in a service with heads bowed, eyes closed, and only a few pastors looking, I've asked them, how many of you would be honest and you would admit that you've contemplated suicide? It will amaze you, Brother Brandon, how many hands will go up. I'm serious. There may be a young person like that here tonight. You probably think sometimes nobody understands me. My mom and my dad, they don't understand me. Look up here, kid. You've never been where I am, but I've been where you are. Don't you listen to that stuff. That's the devil working your life. Amen. All this weird stuff going on in our culture among our young people, you know what that is. Let me tell you what that is. That is a cry for attention. And the only way they can get it is to have purple hair and a bone in their nose or some kind of weird tattoo. It's something to attract attention. And I don't let that stop me. I've witnessed to them. Amen. Give them a track. Try to tell them about the Lord. Amen. I'll tell you what that is, my friend. Let me tell you what it is. You listening to me? You ain't going to believe this. In reality, it's a cry for help. Amen. But you, let me tell you, young person, the Lord knows what it's like to be you. He's been a child. Here's you another good one. He said in Psalm 22, "Thou madest me to hope while I was upon my while I was upon my mother's breast." There ain't a nursing baby in here knows how to hope. But he did. Think about that. How would you like to be holding a baby and that baby knows what you're thinking? <laughs> Amen. 
I don't know how all that works, but think about it. God became a baby at first. This is God in the flesh. He's in the arms of a mother. He probably remembers the moment he was born. Think about it. Just think about this. A baby, you know, has a grasping reflex. You put your finger right here in his palm, what does he do? I learned that many years ago in psychology. Put, put that finger right there, it has a grasping reflex. They also have a reflex in their cheek. You touch a baby with a cheek, it turns his head this way. You touch it, it turns his head this way. That's how you train it how to turn its head to nurse. Just touch it. It's called a touch cheek reflex. And that grasping reflex, they have reflexes. You can pull their feet out, you know, and turn them, stretch their feet and turn them loose. And when you turn them loose, they'll, their body will shake. It's a reflex. It shows that they're normal. Doctors do all that stuff, make sure they're normal. I've seen them do it. I know why they're doing it. But just think about that. Mary took, takes her finger and puts it in this little hand, and that little hand closes upon her finger. And that's the same being that formed Adam, the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And my friend, he must have cried like all babies because he was a he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. I'm sure that voice that cried in Bethlehem's stable and little babe that was swaddled and laid in a manger and his voice crying out in the night, that same voice that cried as a baby said, let there be light, and there was light. I can't lay hold on that. But I tell you, he did all that to draw near to me in my own nature so that where he is, there I may be also. What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful truth. Are you in Hebrews 4? Look at verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Watch this. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I tell you the Lord knows that we're, mer- that we're creatures in need of mercy and that we, have, we need grace to help us. But he says, you come, you come boldly, not with impudence, but you come based upon his sacrifice. And it says he, he it, listen, the implication is he can be touched with your feelings. Amen? Amen. Listen, I got to say this and I'm done. I know y'all don't believe that, but I am. Do you know... Brother Taylor, you might hit your thumb with a hammer when you're working, and I could look at that. I might even laugh at first. You know how people do that. He hit his thumb. We've done that a lot of times. But if you hit your thumb with a hammer, 
Man, I've seen men do it. I've seen them shoot nails through their hands and all kinds of stuff. You hit your thumb with a hammer. I mean, I'm going to be sympathetic with you. Sympathy. I said, man, I wish you hadn't have done that. I hate when that happens. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> That's probably all I could say, though. I hate when that happens. <laughs> but listen. Are you listening to me? Empathy is different than sympathy. You know what empathy is? When you feel the same thing. Let's suppose as soon as he hit his finger, I was laughing at him and wasn't paying attention, and I hit mine. And now we both have a busted finger. And his blood gets under the nail, and they're both throbbing. I would probably be empathetic because I'm feeling the same thing. There's a difference in sympathy and empathy. Do you understand what I'm saying? Listen, I talked to a pastor the other day. He said, I'm taking care of my wife who has dementia. Brother Billy Boone, he pastors in North Carolina. He said, I'm taking care of my wife that has dementia. Brother Brandon and I could empathize with him not just sympathize. I sympathize with people and go on and do nothing, do nothing. But empathy is different. When he said that, I was, I was touched with his feelings. And I said, Brother Billy, I'm, my wife and I are going to pray, for, we're going to pray for you and your wife. And we started praying for them. I don't even know if she's still alive. We've been praying for one lady that's been dead for six months. We didn't even know. Nobody told us. But when Brother B, I took care of my mother. I helped take care of my mother for two years. And we, we took care of her as long as we could until she had to have professional help where we could not do what she needed to be done. And she got to where she did not know me. She didn't know any of her grandchildren. They were the apple of her eye, and she knew none of them. She didn't even know to put food on a fork and put it in her mouth and eat and swallow it. She knew nothing. But there's one thing she never forgot. Guess what that was? She never forgot the Lord. The day she died, she was praying, Lord Jesus, help me. He's the only person she knew. And when Brother Billy Boone told me that about his wife, I could feel it. I was touched. And I tell you, the Lord feels everything you say. He feels. He's touched with your feelings. And he said, just come to me. Come to me with your feelings. I've been touched in the same manner. And I'll give you mercy. And I'll give you grace the time of need because I know what it's like to be you. You tell me one thing that you're suffering that he didn't suffer. And he'll help you. He'll get you through. Amen. You'll find grace to help. Are y'all listening to me? God's grace is as good as a cure. God's grace is as good as the cure. You say, how do you prove it? 
Paul never mentioned that thorn again after God gave him grace for it. Amen. Never mentioned it again. There's, he's empathetic. If you'll just come to him. I don't know what your need is here tonight. Young person, I don't know, what you're go I don't know what's going on in your heart, your life. But if you'll come to him and bring it to him, he'll help you. Brother, a friend of mine, would the pianist come? This friend of mine, Brother Lake, this pastor friend of mine, precious man of God, he took a blood transfusion because he was a hemophiliac, a free bleeder. He took a blood transfusion in the 80s. And guess what he got from it? He got AIDS. They, were, they put out messages on the radio. He was traveling from, from uh, Etowah County in Alabama to Florida, the state of Florida, and they put out messages on the radio trying to get in touch with him. That's back before we had cell phones. They're trying to get a message to him. Do not take that treatment for, for his blood to clot. He was bleeding internally and had to take a treatment. And, and he got AIDS. Precious, precious man of God. And he resigned his church and came home. And he came back to the church. I was pastor of Bible Baptist then. And he sat in the very back. And he shook no one's hand. And he left as soon as the service was over. And he isolated himself from all of us. And I didn't understand it. One Sunday I said this, God's grace is as good as the cure. You know what he did, Brother Brandon? He spoke out. He said, no, it's not. Now what would you do? You got all the answers? No, you don't. Sometimes you just weep with those that weep and keep your mouth shut. But he said, no, it's not. He said, let me ask you this. He said, my mother and my dad are dying with heart disease. I've got two nephews that are dying from age that they got age from a blood treatment. They were hemophiliacs. It was traced down to them. He said, my brother is dying with hemophilia. He said, my whole family's dying. And he didn't say a word about himself. But he says, God's grace is not good as the cure. And I didn't say a word. And he left. Later on, he called me. He said, Brother David, I am so sorry. Would you come see me? And I went to see him. And he said, Brother David, I was speaking in the bitterness of my soul. And he said, I've got AIDS. And he said, I don't have long to live. And I came home to die. I came home to my friends. And I came home to die. And that broke my heart. And I went to see him one day in the hospital in Birmingham. And his wife said he's not doing good. And so we went down there and we prayed. And I told Miss Holly, I said, let's go down and let's go down to the cafeteria. We'll buy you lunch and we'll eat. And while we're eating, 
over the intercom, said Miss Holly, and he gave her last name, Miss Holly. We need you to come back to your husband's room. Brother, Brother Brandon, by the time we got there, he was gone. He just, his blood turned to acid, and he died just like that. But you know what he told me before we left that room? He said, Brother David, <laughs> God's grace is as good as the cure. <laughs> and he went off to heaven. And he's still there tonight. And I bet you couldn't get him to come back. Amen. <laughs> I'm telling you, folks, there's one who can be touched with whatever you're going through. Bring it to him. You'll find his mercy and his grace. Amen. I wish I could preach to you about the grace of God. Most people don't even know what it is. But I'll stop right there. Let's bow our heads.